This is the Narrative Shift Podcast, where we talk about faith, justice, race, and everything in between. Hey, I'm Terrence Lester. And I'm Johnny Taylor. And uh, thanks for tuning in. This is the eighth episode of Narrative Shift. Last week, we talked about how you, not your neighbor, not the uh, person sitting across from you, but you are the solution. Um, this week we are talking about how different communities have different needs yeah. as we go over the seventh, seventh chapter of Terrence Lester's book, I See You. Yeah, man. Um, this, this particular chapter is probably one of my favorite um, in the entire book because it talks about the, the differences in different communities, not just locally, but across the country. And uh, putting yourself in a position to be able to, to discern what needs kind of arise in the different contexts um, that you may be placed in. Last week, we talked about, you know, you stepping up and you uh, meeting needs or uh, adopting this posture of service and also like uh, seeing ways in which you could get involved in, in, the, uh, in the community around you. Uh, but chapter chapter number uh, seven of the book is is really important, but because like after you make the decision to you know want to get involved, want to roll up your sleeves and serve in some way, you have to realize that every community is different. You know what I mean, John? Yeah, yeah, that's important that you say that because now that we've established that we are part of the solution moving forward, we have to realize that not these solutions aren't necessarily uh, one size fits all. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, <laughs> I always use the analogy and I think I even use it in a book of like, what if you went to a doctor, right? And you walk in the doctor's office and before you even get a chance to see the specialist or the physician, um, the person that is at the window or behind the desk uh, writes your prescription and then sends you off before anybody got got a chance to like uh, find out what was going on uh, with you. And so this is kind of like how I see uh, you know, service opportunities uh, without context as being damaging uh, to communities that may have different needs. Because uh, most times we go into communities um, with this posture of just like with a prognosis, um, trying to create solutions before we even have gotten uh, proximate to the people to even hear the cries and the needs of the people. And I'm always of the opinion that uh, when you're, you know, designing solution solutions, it always starts with those who are already there. Uh, because when you go and you listen to the cries of individuals who are faced with different plights, um, that gives you uh, ammunition. Uh, it equips you as to how you should serve uh, the community. Yeah, and as someone who has spent a lot of time working in the developing wor uh, world, I can really attest to this uh, to this truth that different communities really do have, like each one is specific in what they need and yeah. um, what will help. Like uh, you can't uh, just think like go into a community and think, oh, I've done something similar over here, so it's going to work here. Right. Uh, doing that, it can cause a lot of damage coming in with these assumptions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about uh, what is it? The old, uh, I guess, metaphor of using a hammer or treating every situation like it's a nail and having a hammer philosophy. Uh, there are certain uh, things um, that exists in, in different communities that need different approaches, even how you deal with uh, different uh, groups of people. Uh, sometimes, you know, uh, perceptions and worldviews and all of those things are different. And so uh, I think if, if you are really wanting to, to serve in a healthy way, the first step is to establish some type of understanding 
of, you know, the pulse of the community and also understanding the people in the community. Um, because when we don't do that, uh, it kind of gives off this notion that there's a false sense of authenticity and a false sense of uh, relationship building. Would you say? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, like that analogy you used earlier of uh, the going to the doctor's office. Yeah. Um, one of the cornerstones of uh, physician care is getting to know your patient and treating them like forming personal relationship, yeah. keeping it professional, but still personal. Right. Um, and without that, it's, it's ineffective. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, and I know you've seen this too, like working in, uh, you know, developing parts of the world where, you know, like here in the country, although we have some, uh, issues like we've seen in Newark, New Jersey and Flint, Michigan and, uh, New Orleans where, there is, you know, water crisis uh, happening, which is, you know, injustice uh, happening right here in this country. But there's a different type of um, injustice that happens globally, right? Mm-hmm. Of people not having access to any water. Yeah. Yeah. Could you speak to that? Yeah, uh, man. I can't tell you how many communities I've walked into that are literally drinking water out of like a tire rut in a wow. row that has collected uh, gross rainwater over time. Mm. Um, but they're literally drinking that and counting on that to survive. And it's, it's detrimental to health. Yeah. But like you said, that water crisis is not the same as the one in say Flint, Michigan, Yeah, where, you know, the water has high levels of lead and other harmful minerals. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, even thinking about that, there are even environments around the country that are considered uh, food deserts or, uh, you know, they're economically dry, meaning there are no uh, jobs. There were certain cities that were very industrial around the country and uh, post uh, the industrial age, uh, you know, factories closing down and many people losing jobs. There are even, uh, you know, situations where uh, the education, uh, the school systems, you know, right now I read an article earlier today that um, teachers are on strike in Chicago uh, because they're kind of like upset about the 16,000 students in the school system that are experiencing homelessness. So it, it goes far beyond even, you know, just uh, internalized issues that happen uh, within the context of a school system. And there's so many different needs across the board uh, that we could talk about. But what I, th- I think we're, we're talking about is, uh, you know, our ability to advocate for wellness um, in communities, whatever that looks like across the board. And I, I love this. This definition of wellness, it says wellness is an active process of becoming aware of and making choices toward a healthier or healthy and fulfilling life. Wellness is more than being free from illness. It is a dynamic process of change and growth. And then the World Health Organization says it's a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease and infirmity. And I think that kind of sums up what this idea of wellness is, um, that we are actively uh, fighting for and pursuing, you know, making choices that we all have access to a healthy and fulfilling life. Mm -hmm. And I know a few weeks ago we talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I see this week you have uh, the wellness wheel um, attached to the notes. But before we dive into that, why does wellness matter? Like, why is not just being free from sickness or um, danger, immediate danger? Why is that not enough? Why do we need to be well? Yeah, man. I, I you know, I, I, when I think about wellness, I, I think about everybody having an opportunity to um, reach their God-given potential. Um, I think about um, how we're all fashioned in the image of God and uh, that creates this equal playing field. And so um, how is it that some uh, people who are fashioned in the image of God have access to better education than other people? Does that mean that people who 
or fashion who live in environments where the educational system isn't uh, conducive to their uh, upbringing, does that mean that they're lesser than? No, it means that um, as as uh, created beings uh, by a divine God that uh, we should all have that, that same access uh, to reach our God-given potential. That's what I, I think. What, what about you, man? Yeah, man, when you put it that way, it's almost as if wellness is part of the good news. Oh, uh, yeah. That, that Christ that died for. Um, I mean, of course, at the center, uh, his death brought us good news in the in the terms that we are now reconciled with God. But the commandment he kept giving in in different ways to uh, believers and followers of him is care for the poor and yes. care for the the downtrodden and the left out and the marginalized so that you prepare a way for the kingdom of God. Yeah. It like, I mean, he says that we're a city, uh, on a hill, Yeah, a, you know, a light and, and that we are supposed to point towards this coming of the kingdom. And I think part of that is working towards the wellness of those around us. Yeah. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, I think, I think wellness, uh, you know, why wellness matters is, is it, it's absolutely crucial, uh, to, to live a quality life, man. And so, um, what better, better news, uh, to offer someone outside of, uh, uh Jesus fulfillment, uh, is to talk about, the abundant life uh, that you get a chance to live uh, here on earth, man. And so I, I think it matters. It matters. But when we think about wellness as it relates to communities, um, one thing I like to use is the wellness will. John just brought it up. Um, and basically, if you can imagine a pie chart, a uh, circular pie chart, um, it, it's kind of broken up into eight categories, sometimes nine categories. And that can be any, it, it almost reminds me of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, it is similar, but this almost seems more like an audit of the individual. Yes. Less than a progression. Yes. Um, it's more so like, are you experiencing this? Yes. Can you say this about yourself? Yeah. And based on those answers, it kind of defines your wellness. Yeah. So like, even as I uh, go through some of these things, you can almost think about a person if you could see them as being like a cup. Mm-hmm. And um, each of these categories ensures if that cup is filled to the rim, right? And so uh, basically some uh, clinicians would suggest that if a person is balancing these uh, well, then that pushes them close to wellness, meaning uh, you are in a position to achieve uh, a quality life, right? And so the first one is emotional, you know, um, you know, that's a category. Uh, can you cope effectively with uh, life and, uh, you know, uh, satisfying relationships? And then there's the financial uh, category, uh, you know, satisfaction with, uh, you know, your financial sh- situations. And then there's social. Uh, that's all about connection and belonging and uh, having a support system. And then there's spiritual, you know, expanding on, you know, our sense of purpose and meaning in life. There's occupational, uh, there's physical, there's intellectual, and there is uh, environmental. And we kind of alluded to environmental a little bit earlier uh, when we talk about even, you know, just using the person as a backdrop. If you were to use this wellness wheel as a backdrop against community, you could also like check the pulse on a community like environmental could uh, speak to the food desert, you know, financial could uh, speak to, you know, abandoned buildings and not having, you know, uh, enough jobs. Uh, in the environment. Emotional could speak to mental health and depression. Uh, Intellectual could speak to like, uh, is the school system uh, providing enough quality education for, you know, students to to fully reach their their God-given potential? Physical, you know, uh, earlier I was riding through a lot of environments where, 
you know, you start to see a lot of dialysis centers pop up, you know, uh, in these in these environments. And, and most of that is contributed by the environmental because they're food deserts. If you only have access to, you know, junk food or the sweets and and, you know, <laughs> the closest place you can get some food is a, a local gas station and you have a liquor store on every single corner, then it may affect your physical. You know, if it's affecting your physical, there it could affect your emotional. And what what this wellness will uh, does is give you a glimpse of how there's so much intersection in between all of these things, and how each one of them can impact impact uh, another category. Yeah. yeah. And as we're talking about the larger picture uh, when it comes to communities, yeah. Um, like earlier, you kind of laid out how. You can also kind of use this as a way to, to audit a community. Yeah. But um, like what happens when, let's just say, I know this isn't necessarily how the wellness wheel is supposed to be used, but let's like attribute um, like a numerical value to each of these categories saying that like 100 is the goal in each of these categories. Okay. Um, let's say that like, we have a 70 in social um, that the community is kind of tight knit as well as uh, relational smoothness and everything goes. Yeah. But let's say the um, like the environmental aspect is like at a 30. Yeah. Uh, that there is not access to clean water. There are yeah. many different problems. But what what would that look like in terms of helping them? Yeah. I mean, so. That's a great question. I mean, when we look at the strength of the social aspect, um, people are able to get along. People have, you know, uh, close relationships with one another. I think uh, when looking at solving the issue of like, just say like a, a water situation, I would focus on how to empower uh, people that are already existing in that community have strong relationships to help them solve their own issue. You know, um, I think every solution kind of centers around this idea of a relational equity, relational capacity. And so uh, whenever I approach a situation and I look at what needs to be solved, I'm always uh, wondering or thinking about what relationships or can be developed and who can be organized around this in the context uh, to start uh, moving towards creating a solution. What about you? So what you're saying is that our focus should be that environmental aspect, yeah. not improving the, the social. Um, yeah. Because so you, if you yeah. already have a strong area, um, you you can actually leverage one area to help uh, solve the area of need. Yeah. You're not going in uh, saying, hey, let's create some more social dynamics. Mm -hmm. It's more about, uh, hey, how can we strategize and use the strength in the context to actually mobilize and organize around the real need? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, same thing with, you know, let's say if, you know, there's a strong social piece, and but it's lacking in intellectual. Um, that if... So my my goal wouldn't be to go in and try to rally a bunch of people to uh, create programs to to pass along inform, information. I would read that and say, well, hey, there's always already a social d dynamic. How could we um, empower people to teach people in the community, and then have that information transferred to uh, solve uh, that issue? Um, but when I think about the wellness wheel, man, uh, the the most damaging thing to do is to go in and there's a need in one area, but you focus on a, <laughs> a totally different area. And I think as people who are trying to help so often, uh, we can get trapped in our programs and end up yeah. doing that. Yeah. Like I might go into this situation, um, hypothetically yeah. speaking, but say I... I'm just really good at creating, you know, relational harmony and yeah. synergy within communities. I might go into that community we just talked about where their socials at like a 70 and their uh, environmentals at like a 30. Yeah. I might go in and be like, okay, how can I get that social to an 80? 
Mm. And I might say, okay, let's improve. Let's add programs and all this. Meanwhile, these people don't have access to water. Yeah. I'm not really helping. I'm just not wasting my time, but wasting my time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's how it is um, in most cases when people don't get a chance to get proximate to people to really understand uh, the needs. Um, Because... You know, I, I'm I'm with one of my older uh, mentors that would always say ministry arises from need, like that you're supposed to go in, um, not with a palms up philosophy, yeah. you know, thinking about what you can get from a community, but with a palms down uh, mentality of how can I serve, how can I discern, you know, the needs uh, that are already there. Like if we are to listen to the cries of the people, the people already know the solutions. They just need to be empowered in in that way to actually solve the solution. They need access. Yes, access. Yeah, because they're living in this state of poverty, whether it be um, physical or emotional, spiritual, etc. They are experiencing a lack of access to the solution. Yeah, yeah, and I think we have a, a. and also an opportunity to, man, uh, even become educated ourselves um, to kind of deconstruct some of these myths and notions that we may enter into certain contexts with. And, uh, you know, just knowing that just like you said earlier, man, just because something worked in another part of town or another area doesn't mean that it'll necessarily be cookie cutter uh, for a new community, a new group of people. Um, it's up to us to do that that hard work. One of the things that <clears throat> I love uh, about uh, the New Testament and, and Jesus' ex- example, man, uh, I, I got a chance to interview earlier, and um, this guy was asking me about, you know, um, why, why it was so important to like see people. And I was like, uh, duh, because Jesus saw, you know, um, I love the passages in the text where it says, and Jesus saw, and Jesus saw, and then he engaged, engaged with the people and then he responded. And it was this three tiered process. He saw, and then he engaged, meaning that he built, uh, you know, relationships and heard their stories and, heard their cries, you know, whether a person was blind or had a withered hand or, you know, whatever the case was. And then he, he responded. And I think that is the perfect process for how we should engage, uh, and work, work in communities. What about you, man? Man, it's always so good when scripture literally provides us a framework for an issue. Um, but I agree, like you look, over and over through the New Testament, no matter what Jesus was doing, when there was a problem, the first thing is he is he saw that person, mm. um, and then he, he saw a the deeper. person. Yeah, he saw yeah. the person. Yeah, talk about that, man. <laughs> talk about seeing a person. Yeah, man. Uh, so I know this isn't necessarily in the text, not necessarily explicit in Scripture, but I like to think that Jesus saw not the person um, who they were at the moment, yeah. but he saw who they were about to be. Right. Uh, mm, he, saw, that's good. he saw the healing before it happened, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think, um, but I mean, of course, but he did see the, the inherent problem. He saw the blindness. He saw the, yeah. the paralyzation. He saw the demonic possession. Yeah. Um, but I think he saw a step further and saw them free of that. Yeah. Which is what he responded out of. Yeah. There was even um, parts where he included people in the process of their own uh, miracle or healing or many whatever. Many times. You, yeah, yeah, you call it. But, like, many times, like, he he wasn't just about, like, only doing for He was about the empowerment, you know. Take up your mat and walk. Yes, that's good. You know? uh, and... Or go to go to the to the well and wash out the mud from your eyes. Um, yeah, so many times yeah. he included people in in their own healing process, mm. and 
How, yeah, I mean, that empowers and that com- confirms that we are not idle. Uh, we are not just people who are standing by that. We play an active part in God's will, not only for the lives of others, but for our own lives. Yeah. Man, I love uh, this quote that you have in the notes by Michael Forbes. It's so profound, man. It's so much easier to suggest solutions when you don't know too much about the problem. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Let's unpack that, man. Yeah. I mean, how often do we look at something and if we just look at it for a second, we think, oh, that's the solution. Yeah. But if you dig a little deeper, that solution might not work. The further you are from the problem, the more broad and oftentimes ineffective your solutions are. Yeah. Wow. So you you mean to tell me that sometimes before we get proximate, we try to solve the problems sometimes without context. Yeah. Yeah. Well, imagine, imagine, uh, calling like an IT guy, IT support. And you're like <laughs> saying like, man, I have a virus on my computer and yeah. he goes, okay, uh, unplug it and plug it back in. Yeah. It's like, I know that works for some things, but I have a, something is infected in my computer. Yeah. It goes a little deeper than just restarting. And they restarting. troubleshoot, right? Yeah. And this is a side note. I know you do, you don't do Apple products, <laughs> um, but shout out to Apple, man. They have uh, Apple care where you can call in and troubleshoot all your things, but I, I you have to, because <laughs> you have to. I love it when we, I get a chance, like if I have an issue, I pick up the phone and I'm, uh, on the phone with a Apple tech or, you know, a person from the genius bar, uh, because, uh, people at Apple are geniuses, but, um, yeah, uh, it's not just a one size fits all, uh, solution. The person there is there to guide you through, uh, the process to discover what is actually going on. So the solution that is provided is effective. Yeah, but have you ever been in a situation where <laughs> they're to, you're uh, you're starting to describe this problem to them, and they say, "Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna forward you to another department because this problem goes a little deeper yeah. than what I can handle." Oh yeah, that's good. Um, and you know that's where that like Malcolm Forbes says, it's easier to say, suggest solutions when you don't know much about the problem. Hmm. Sometimes as we dig deeper in these problems, we realize that we don't have the skills or capabilities or capacity to solve them. Oh man, that's real good. And that, that takes a a level of courage that we also have to talk about is the courage to pass along or to find another person or a group of people who are experts in something that you may not be an expert in. Right. And it's okay right. to yeah. pass along. Yeah, it takes courage and humility, but it also takes a passion for wanting to get the problem solved, not just yes. solving the problem. Yes, that means you have to elevate the mission above yourself. Mm-hmm. So often we're like, okay, I want to be the hero in yeah. this story, uh, even if that means that the battle isn't won. Yeah. You know? Man, we, we had, uh, I mean... Something like that happened just yesterday, man. We had a program at the center, and uh, you know, it was this mom and with her children, man. Children literally did not have on any shoes or socks, and it was cold outside, and uh, they had nowhere to go. Um, we, we, you know, are experts in that. We know a lot about homelessness, but we don't really serve women and children. But we have a partner that does, and so. Uh, one of our volunteers were, was able to contact one of our partners and get this this family shelter, um, which is something that we can provide for this mother and this child, man. And so um, it's it it was yeah we heard the need, uh, we knew what they they needed, and the the simple solution is not to try to be the hero in the situation, but to call somebody else who is already doing this type of work uh, to to help us provide for his mother and child. And at the end of the day, man, uh, we were able to celebrate because uh, this mother and child has housing. Um, Not because we were so great, but because we had equipped ourselves with the information of what was around us, which is another great point is, you know, a part of being a solutionary 
is not only serving and getting proximate to the people and uh, doing your best to empower them, but also um, knowing what's around you. You know, uh, it's not only, you know, one thing to know the needs of the community, but to uh, to also know what's in the community that is already addressing the needs or what's proximate to the community uh, that may be able to uh, fill, fill a void or a gap, would you say? Yeah, and that almost like probes a different question in my mind. Uh, and I know this kind of uh, deviates a tiny bit from the central ch- topic, Yeah, but I feel like there could be people listening who who see problems in the world and feel the need to start a nonprofit themselves <laughs> to fix it. Yeah. And then they realize that the problem is much, much bigger than it looks like on the surface. And yeah. so they try to evolve and say, okay, I want to fix all these problems Yeah, attributed to the initial problem I saw. But man, what it, I mean, just tell me about like why it's so important to have focus and to lean in and be specific when trying to help. Man, you know, um, it's a great point. Uh, Actually writing about this this very subject right now, but, you know, uh, social media has given us access to um, consume so much content. And at any given moment, you can, you ever ever just pick up your phone and you're just like, I'm going to scroll to see what some of my friends are doing. And before you know it, you're down a a rabbit trail and you've encountered like, you know, 10 to 15 different things going on in the world. And and you care about all of them. And and, uh, what happens is, it's very easy to focus on, an issue that maybe you may not be called to because of the the temperature and the culture, uh, which which I'm not saying that those issues shouldn't be addressed because other people may be equipped to address those. But like you got to really find what it is that you are you know called to focus on. Man, I remember when I first was about to start an organization, I had put together this you know, this prospectus of all these different things I wanted to do, uh, <laughs> unrelated to each other. And, uh, I remember one of my, uh, my coaches and mentors at the time said, I, I dare you to pick one thing off the list and focus on that. Yeah. Um, and see where that goes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it just so happened to be like homelessness. Um, and so, uh, that's kind of like what we've been focused on. Uh, do we use different vehicles of addressing the issue? Yeah, that's cool. But we have a focus. And what I found out over time is that when you try to deviate, um, and have too many different uh, focuses, it makes you ineffective because you're distracted. And some people that may be listening to this may need to just hear, you know, pick one thing. What's the one thing? What's the one thing that rises right. to the top? What's the one thing that makes you mad? Uh, the acronym, make a difference in, you know, uh, what's the one thing that upsets you, keeps you up at night, brings tears to your eyes? Maybe that's the one thing you should focus on and stop being distracted. What happens is our social media instant gratification culture uh, makes us think that we need to bounce around to all of these different things and not be consistent in the one thing. Yeah. And I think we also, as a culture now, we do have commitment issues. Mm. Like we think, okay, if I dive into this one thing, man, I'm committed. Like I'm stuck with this. Like what yeah. if in three years, like I don't like advocating for the homeless anymore. Yeah. Uh, and we kind of let that get into our heads. But man, I just see um, so many people just try to do everything and they burn out oh, after, man. I mean, a short amount of time. Yeah. You and, can burn out from just bouncing around. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. And I know the organization I work with, um, we're super focused on sanitation yeah. and a super small aspect of that. Yeah. And we get a flack all the time from people who don't understand, hmm. um, for not doing other things. Like they'd be like, these people are starving. Why don't you feed them? Yeah. And we're like, that's not what we do. Yeah. Or, uh, why don't you provide this or that? Like, it's not what we do. Yeah. And, um, these people sometimes run off to try to start their own organizations and they realize that, 
I'm it's super not ineffective. Easy. Yeah. yeah. It's, not only is it not easy, but I'm ineffective because I'm trying to do all this other stuff. Yeah. I don't have focus. Yeah. Focus is really important, man. And when you mention, you know, set sanitation, that probably would fall up under uh, physical slash environmental, um, which there's some overlap there, right? And so, you know, if the environmental aspect of the context that you're serving uh, doesn't provide uh, clean water or sanitary items for them to be able to wash uh, certain things or um, even provide certain aspects where they can produce uh, the type of quality, uh, you know, uh, products that you produce for those that you're serving. And that, that affects the physical, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, vice versa. And so, like, man, I I think, you know, finding one thing, but also seeing where that lands on the backdrop of this wellness wheel, but also <laughs> on the backdrop of where what you're trying to do fits within the context of that community. Yeah. Because you can have a great idea um, and be called to something, mm-hmm. but you could be in the wrong environment. Oh, yeah. You could be <laughs> yeah. in totally the wrong, the wrong community. Yeah. I it's, mean, it's like Popeye's trying to sell chicken sandwiches. Right. Or imagine like going to Jump. like some like rich, super wealthy uh, suburb and try to hand out like, you know, like food or something like that. Like that's not what they <laughs> Where need. Where it's not a need. Yeah. It's not a need there, but yeah. it's a need somewhere else. Right. And uh, calling calling goes way beyond geography. Um, that if you're called to something, uh, that uh, God could place it on your heart to serve a community that is even opposite of where you grew up uh, in, what the area you grew up in, or even where you currently live. Because it's not about... <laughs> you know, uh, going into a context, like you said, trying to fulfill a need that isn't there. It's about going into areas, um, and meeting needs that, you know, are, are like really present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about the, uh, not only the right need, but the right community. Yeah. But you'd mentioned earlier, um, before we started recording to, talk a little bit about how we came up in different communities ourselves. Yeah. And how, I mean, I mean, the way we are raised in the environment we are raised in will definitely bias uh, how we see mm. other communities, other cultures, etc. True. Yeah. And it will even um, kind of speak to us about, you know, those uh, embedded values that we may have. Yeah. And thinking about it, I don't even know if bias was the correct word for that, but it changes your perspective. Yeah. Like growing up, did you, uh, did you go to a barbershop, bro? No. Uh, I went to, (laughs) who cuts your hair, bro? I went to Great Clips for a little while. Great Um, Clips. And then, well, actually for, for a long time we had like a family, uh, person who like family friend who would cut our hair a groomer yeah i I mean yeah but eventually i was like man i hate this yeah mom will you just do it like oh man to this day my mom still cuts my hair wow bro that's yeah that's cool uh well for me i i grew up i uh to traditionally culturally uh hit the barbershop man and i and i even today i uh, take my my son to to the barbershop, and it's always been one of those you know fun weird experiences because it's it's fun in that like everything about culture is talked about uh, in the barbershop, like um, you know spirituality, you know church, you know the pastor, the you know what's going on in the news, you know uh, what's going on in context of relationships i mean the pulse on the culture hip-hop it it was so many different uh conversations that happened there man it's it's just always been like a a staple in my upbringing what what about you man but i mean even thinking about that yeah like how you just described the barbershop like man to me that was just like everything i ever saw in media like i didn't need that oh wow because it was so prevalent in the culture wow like because my uh 
narrative, so yeah. to speak, was the dominant one. Yeah. So I didn't need a a place to go to to hear about things that were oh wow affecting my community. Wow. Was just, that was just Fox News. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Fox News. Oh man. Uh, yeah, but Fox News <laughs> right. is not the source. No, I, I have to. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Say I that. Will, right. Disclaimer. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, yeah. Uh, Fox News has a, a lens uh, that is uh, Fox News ish. Right. But it was also like a lens that I grew up with. And wow. that's how I. How Are I you saw serious, the world. bro? Yeah. yeah. What, oh, yeah. what caused you to, to expand beyond that lens, though? Well, um, to be honest, it was um, it was diving deeper into the gospel mm. and realizing that hey, there are um, people around me that I'm not listening to. Oh and wow, that is not what Jesus calls us to. Wow, you know uh, it says in Scripture, be be slow to speak and slow to anger. Yes, and quick to listen. So that yes. kind of. Um, hit the delete button on my current worldview and <laughs> said, start over Yeah, by listening to other people. But, uh, moving forward, like, I mean, that, that atmosphere did affect how I saw the world still. Wow. Um, and it, it probably affects, uh, a lot of different people. I sp- uh, uh, probably that relates to your, uh, background and, and, and narrative. And um, for me, it was totally opposite, man. It was more uh, centered around, you know, civil rights, uh, equality, equity, all of those things that um, <laughs> it would almost be like totally contrary to what you might hear on on uh, uh, the news station that you just mentioned, man. And, and yeah, it, it was kind of like embedded and wired in me to see the world as a place where justice had to be fought for, um, equality had to be struggled for, and um, um, just uh, reverencing those who had come before us of uh, achieving such great uh, heights and, and, and bringing us closer to, uh, you know, wholeness and, and freedom and, and, and things like that, man. So that's kind of like ha- have, have has been my wiring. Yeah, and... For me, like, I feel like in the community, like the neighborhood I grew up in, to be like blunt and honest, it was keeping the community white. Like, I remember, really? yeah, I remember when. Um, and in case you didn't know, John is white, right? In case you can't <laughs> tell, but I remember, like, like as plain as day, when an an Indian family moved into our neighborhood the uproar it caused in our community. Really? Like, oh, oh, yeah. And this was not long after 9-11. Wow. So, like, I guess everyone had just demonized anyone who wasn't, uh, like, white or possibly black. But anyone who was, like, in that mid-range, darker skin tone could yeah. possibly be Muslim. They demonized them. Wow. I remember hearing, like... My neighbors say, "Yeah, I won't even, I won't even jog by their house. Like I just cross the other Are you other serious? side of the street." Yeah, but how, how did that? Uh, looking back on that, man, like how do you how do you process that now, though? <laughs> well, obviously, as a you know, being <laughs> in my in my mid twenties, I realized that is so wrong. But um, I feel like my mom was the kind of person who would always push back against that. And she was the person who was like, well, I'm going to reach out to this family. Like yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to lean. Your mom is like that, man. Yeah. She's, she's like, I'm going to lean in when everyone else is checking out and yeah. avoiding. Yeah. And we shout out to Jones. Mom. <laughs> right. But we actually started spending time with this family and like my mom would just send us off like to walk. It was probably like, probably a mile, but she would just let us walk off to their house and just spend the whole day in their house learning about their culture. And they would, yeah. they would cook for us and mm. they would, uh, literally like bring us groceries and they're just the nicest, most patriotic people like I'd ever encountered as a kid. Like I remember mm. feeling this like weird, like 
um, confusion about these two different narratives about this family I was hearing. Mm. Uh, that on the one hand, like I'd been to their house and sure it was a little different than what I was used to. And they looked a little different and they weren't Christian. They, you know, they had little statues uh, of the gods they believed in, but it wasn't, what I saw was not consistent with what I heard from other people. Yeah, which leads us to this point of, don't judge people that you don't know. You know, don't form an opinion about a community or a context or a person that you have never met. If you are doing that, you are wrong. You're wrong. Yeah. It's not the love of God. It's not, uh, you know, living a higher way of life. You're, you're just wrong. And, I, you know, I thank you for even explaining that example, man. And I think for me... Uh, uh, in the community I, I, I grew up in, it was it was all all about togetherness, uh, striving together, uh, empowering one another uh, to overcome and to achieve and to push back against uh, some of the stereotypes similar to what you described about this family and to uh, uh, become what you know society and culture says that you couldn't become, and so you know that's what. I've, I've strived for that's, that's what, uh, empowers me to want to empower other people, no matter what walk of life you come from. But, you know, I've always, uh, been empowered by my community to see the good in others and to see the potential in others. Yeah. Yeah. And looking at that, um, looking at my community and looking at your community talking about the specific needs, uh, for my community, um, Raphael Limkin, who was the guy who termed the, uh, coined the term genocide. Um, he says, and this is like a very, uh, this is not word for word at all. This is coming completely from memory. Uh, but he said that each culture has their own specific role to play. And if any culture is eliminated or suppressed that, we are not like, we're not getting the whole picture. Like it's so important, uh, to have every voice present at the table. And like, that is so paraphrased and probably not even incorrect at all in any of the, in the verbiage, but in, in the message itself is, I feel like it's true. And you can go back and Google Raphael Limpkin, uh, to figure out more about him. He did for not phenomenal work, but I feel like in my community, like what, our need as a community was, was the other, um, and not just their physical presence, but their story, uh, the impact they had in our lives. Like we needed that and we were desperate for that, but we, we feared it and we pushed against it. Mm. Talk a little bit about that, man. Why, why, why was there pushback? Well, like I said, um, like a, like I grew up uh, most of my life post 9/11 and man it changed the climate of our country for sure uh, we definitely f- started to fear people who were not like us people who didn't look like us people who didn't think like us people who didn't go to the same um, church as we did we started to fear that so like you often say, we started to otherize people and we felt like that made us stronger as, mm-hmm. as a community, but it really weakened us uh, so much because we didn't have this necessary part of the narrative, which is um, the Mago Day that every person is created in the image of God. Therefore, every person plays a part of the narrative of God, of his... Um, story of redemption for the world. Mm. That's deep, man. Yeah. I, um, I am, uh, that made me think about, uh, a pioneer, uh, that recently, uh, passed away. <clears throat> Her name was, uh, Tony Morrison. Um, she was born Chloe, uh, Morrison. And, um, well, Chloe Wartford 
and uh, she was known as Toni Morrison, but she was an American novice, novelist and SES uh, book editor and college professor. And um, man, she has some really powerful quotes. Um, one that I like, uh, you know, uh, is is this one. It says, uh, can't nothing heal without pain, you know. Um, and it kind of speaks to the community, uh, that I'm a part of and how, you know, we have, you know, uh, systematically and systemically been, uh, you know, marginalized in many ways, had to endure so much, but, um, there's always been this, this, this uh drive this this foundation this uh movement welling up uh that brought about its own healing and so just being able to see uh different people rise above uh, so many different obstacles and odds um has always been empowering man but it you know the successes or the wins has never been <laughs> without pain um, and just like acknowledging that pain has always been a part of the journey, uh, towards freedom, uh, for, uh, persons of color. And so, you know, I also love this quote by her. It says, when you get to get these jobs that you have been so brilliantly trained for, just remember that, uh, your real job is that if you are free, you need to free somebody else. If you have some power, then your job is to empower somebody else. And that's that so is good. Toni Morrison, man. <laughs> man. And uh, it, it always just like drives home this point that as you progress, knowing that your progression or your success in life has never been on your own accord. There is the, the spirit of God actively moving in your life, but also uh, it, it comes from standing on the shoulders of those who have sacrificed or either even been sacrificed uh, on your behalf. And so um, I'm always close to the idea of honoring the pain and the legacy of uh, that has been uh, in my community. Yeah, man. And that's something that growing up, like we just didn't have, like mm-hmm. it was all about being better than our neighbor. Wow. Not, we're all in this together. Wow. Um, and yeah, looking back, like, I see that that's something that is, that is, that is a lack. Yeah. That is a, uh, that a need, that deeper sense of community that goes beyond uh, just individuals hanging out. Like, but that community that goes throughout a uh, shared experience. Yeah. Like, that is something that just, people like me don't grow up with yeah yeah man i um i am uh you know one of the things that you know i'm i'm hoping that people get out of this is not just realizing uh some of the lack uh that may exist in in communities like pain or you know that sense of like connectedness to a greater story, but like I hope people walk away and say, man, um, I need to ponder first and foremost, how I was fashioned, you know, how I was raised, how my community uh, spoke to me, um, how it it has equipped me, but also like to realize that (laughs) you're equipping your experiences uh, aren't, don't need to go waste it. Like they don't need to be wasted that God uh, can use uh, all of your experiences, no matter where you fall on the spectrum or for somebody else's good uh, that you um, have an opportunity, even an obligation to give back in in some way to neighbor. And what I define neighbor as in the backdrop of the New Testament is somebody uh, that is not like you, uh, that you've been called to love. Yeah. Um, someone who is proximate, even clo- in close proximity to your own community that 
is in your community, but you still don't know them. You know, what would you say, John? That's good. I like that definition of of neighbor. Yeah. Uh, somebody who's in your prox- proximity, but you don't necessarily know. Yeah. Um, man, I don't think there, I, I don't know if there's a more like applicable way to say that for Americans. Cause how often do we not know our literal neighbor, somebody who's in proximity with us? Yeah. Um, but man, tying this all back into, uh, the different needs of different communities. Like, I think one thing we have to acknowledge is that no matter who you are, the community you grew up in, um, and now live in has needs, whether it's something that is explicit and at the, at the front, like something very, something easy to see, like, uh, people around you are starving or if it's something yeah. more subtle, like you don't include the narrative of the other within your community. Like right. you exclude people, you're xenophobic. Yeah. Um, man, we all have to acknowledge that no matter who we are, our community grew up with needs Yeah. and we have to reconcile that. We have yeah. to look back and be like, okay, because I grew up in this community, what do I as an individual need? Yeah. Uh, what do I have to repair? Yeah. And not only uh, what you have to repair, but what do you have to contribute? Um, because, you know, needs are are multifaceted, you know. Uh, and I think we need to be good stewards over, um, you know, that which we do have access to as a way of, you know, even meeting or, uh, uh, you know, filling gaps in other areas that may not be gaps for us. Um, which speaks to this idea that we're a global village and we all need each other, um, in some way. And so, man, as we close, man, I got to ask you this, John, um, do you have a story of how someone could be an average person or someone that is working in in the context of your uh, the organization that you serve with uh, stepped up and met a need? Man, uh, so many different stories, but... Jeez, I'll have to think about that for a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is which is totally cool. Man, I can think about. Um, I remember. Uh, so we were working with this <clears throat> this group. Um, it's an organization, and we, uh, you know, opened up our center for them to you know start sharing the space. And so, this group was really focused on youth empowerment and educating youth, so on and so forth. And one day they, they come to me and they're like, well, we got this idea. We want to start, you know, helping, uh, you know, kids in the area around STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And um, we want to teach kids how to, how to build bicycles. Now, um, you know, you know, when I started sharing this with other people and they were like, they want to do what? Why not just give a bicycle for Christmas or whatever? Um, and then I had to go into detail about <laughs> the reason why they want to teach kids to build the bicycle is because most kids that people drop in and parachute on, you know, around Christmas and give, you know, free bicycles, don't even know the kids in the community don't know how to ride a bike. And it goes much deeper than just giving a bicycle. Maybe that kid or child needs, you know, presence, uh, a mentor, uh, someone to walk with them and teach them things that uh, they hadn't been taught before because, you know, they lack in the social aspect of the wellness will. And so, you know, I've seen individuals go a little bit deeper uh, just by giving time, teaching the mechanics of the bicycle as a way of teaching 
why you need a bicycle or how to ride a bicycle. And it's, it's a totally different relationship that you build when you approach a situation from that way as opposed to approaching it as just like, I'm going to give all these bicycles to pat myself on the back and then we celebrate in church about how good we've been. <laughs> and you forget the people in the community. Yeah. That's ground up. Um, yeah, I can think of someone who, and this person is not in my, uh, not my circle. I don't even actually know them. I just know their work. Oh, nice. But this person went to Haiti to adopt a child and they're going through this process and, um, their, their agent says, okay, uh, we have to pay this amount of money to the parents of the child. Um, for them to give up their rights to you so you can adopt them. Mm. And this person goes, wait, hold up, hold up. Like, I thought I'm adopting an orphan. Like, <laughs> like I didn't want to adopt somebody with, with parents. Like, what do you mean their parents are alive? And yeah. in the picture, and, and the agent continues, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they just didn't have, they didn't have enough money uh, to care for their child. That's why they put wow. them in an orphanage. Wow. And this person who was adopting totally stopped the process and said, I'm going to create jobs so that mothers and fathers can keep their children and not have to th- send them to an orphanage uh, so the strangers can basically buy them off. Wow. Like, I'm going to create a job so this person doesn't have to do that. Wow. And uh, just such an amazing... Uh, and if you think about it, even humble approach, like you, you shouldn't have to think like paying to buy somebody's kid is humble, but in reality, like that's so common. Wow. Um, but for this person to like lose whatever money they had already invested into this adoption process and say, I'm not just going to let this problem continue. I'm going to put a, I'm going to do as much as I can to put a stop to it. Right. I'm not going to be part of the problem. I'm going to be part of the solution. Right. Because why separate children? Right. Like, I mean, no matter what, like the best parent for any child is their parents. Right. Like who they were born to. Right. Um, But this person just said, I'm going to be part of the The solution. solution. Yeah. Part of the solution and the. Uh, created this organization called Papillon, and that's P-A-P-I-L-L-O-N, uh, which which is French for butterfly. Mm. But they said, I'm going to solve this, and I'm going to create jobs so that moms and dads can keep their children and raise their children so that these children can have the best opportunity uh, for a successful future. Yeah. And that's what they've been committed to ever since. Which they are committed to wellness. To wellness. Wellness, bro. Not being the hero. Like, I adopted this poor child. Um, right. And gave him a totally new life. Right. No, they said, I'm going to step back a little bit. I'm going to take the back seat and let the their actual parents be the heroes. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, man, it's all about how we are serving, how we are empowering, how we are building relationships, but ultimately how we are uh working to bring more wellness uh not only in communities but in in the lives of our neighbors and in the world and that's what i I believe people mean by we need to do more good in the world right yeah so john man uh share your social media man yeah so you can find me on instagram twitter and I think Facebook. I keep saying Facebook. But I don't <laughs> actually know if you have Facebook usernames, but uh, you can find me at Johnny Taylor ninety five, which is J O H N N Y T A Y L O R nine five. What about you? Yeah, man. So it's at uh, I'm Terrence Lester. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I M T E R E N C E L E S T E R. Uh, our organization is Love Beyond Walls. Uh, that's at Love Beyond Walls, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we also just launched a museum called Dignity Museum. And it's all about telling the stories of those who are overlooked and forgotten. Uh, if you've listened up to this point, 
uh, tell them what they could do, John. Yeah, if you've listened up to this point, I don't see any reason why you should not subscribe and share because obviously, like you just want to listen to every single word <laughs> right. we have to offer on this podcast. So yeah, go go um, subscribe to this podcast, uh, write a review, share it with your friends, family, etc. And man, yeah, what do you? <laughs> What yeah, else? Uh, what else? They can always go and uh, grab the ICU book. Um, of course. You can find that on Amazon. I see you, how love opens our eyes to invisible people. And I got to give a, a, a huge shout out to uh, Johnny, um, which is the co-host. And uh, man, thank you for always putting together these great uh, production notes and helping to uh, put the, the, this podcast out into the world for uh, anyone who... Uh, you know, feels, you know, called to listen to what we have to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I love uh, having these conversations and I think they're just as much for me as they are for anyone else. Uh, so, man, the pleasure is totally mine. But if you have listened this far, we are an hour and five minutes in. Yep. Thank you again. And we will see you next time. All right. Bye.